Today's show comes to you thanks to Avakind, an online shop for emerging design. For more information, visit avakind.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonnie, and today we're coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to After the Jump live at our new time every Wednesday at 1 p.m. on heritageradionetwork.org or download the podcast on iTunes anytime. This season on After the Jump, we've been diving deeper into the larger issues facing the creative community, from the ins and outs of embracing change and social media to the difficulties and hidden costs of running an ethical indie business. One of the topics that continues to bubble up in each episode is risk, the importance of taking risks, how to properly weather them when they go wrong, and how to find the confidence to keep taking them seems to be at the top of everyone's mind lately. So today I'm thrilled to be joined by two talented women who know a lot about taking risks and how to learn from them. I'm joined by Gabby Delkin of the wildly popular food blog, What's Gabby Cooking? And Krista Freeman, co-founder of my favorite ice cream company, Finn and Phoebe. So thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. <laughs> um, this show was inspired by conversations I've been reading and having with other people on and off air lately. And people seem to be talking about risk as something that they feel is incredibly important, not only because it really helps you set yourself apart from the pack, but also because it teaches really valuable business and personal lessons. But the tricky thing seems to be is that people are rarely open to discussing it publicly. So I'm so thankful to have you both here to be open and honest about both the ups and downs of what taking risks really means for business owners. So before we get too deep, I want to take a moment to introduce you both for anyone listening who's not familiar with you. Um, Gabby, why don't you start? I first discovered your blog through our mutual friend, Matt Armandiraz of Matt Bites. Um, when did you start your blog and what inspired it? Oh, so I started my blog in 2009 and I had just graduated from college and I decided I was going to go to culinary school. So I was like, I'm going to start a blog and tell everyone what I'm cooking at culinary school and brag. There was <laughs> no... There was no smart thinking that went into <laughs> creating it. I just did it off of a whim. Um, yeah, and then I just kind of kept trekking along from there. And I guess three years ago is when I really turned What's Gobby Cooking into my full-time career. Mm-hmm. Krista, I've had you and Jess Eddy, your co-founder of Finn and Phoebes, on the show before. But for anyone not listening, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you guys decided to start an ice cream company. Yeah, so um, Jess and I both come from um, tech and design backgrounds, and we're also, I guess, professional eaters, you could, as we could call <laughs> us. So back in the day, we were, you know, indulging and gorging ourselves, and we bought a bad pint of ice cream, and essentially that led us to go out and buy our own ice cream machine. And we were lucky that we our first flavor was really good. So from there, it spiraled down into selling to markets and fairs and really testing the product. And we made the leap to quit our jobs and launch the business in um, January 2011. And we launched, actually started selling ice cream in November 2011. And we just turned two this past year. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, everyone. Um, starting any company that's independent right now in today's market online or off is such a huge risk for a number of reasons. So I really want to talk about what the inciting factor was for each of you to take that big leap um, to start your own business. Crystal, let's start with you. What was sort of the moment that just you decided, I'm going to leave my regular job and I'm going to do something big mm-hmm. and risky? So we had been kind of playing around with it over like September of 2010 through the December, you know, should we do this? Should we not? And 
I think what really helped us is that we're really actually unhappy in our jobs and we felt dissatisfied. And um, I, I think that it just happened by accident that we launched an ice cream business. I think we always wanted to do something and it just happened to be ice cream. And so we just got to a point where like, if we don't do it now, we're going to hate ourselves. We got to make the leap. We had validated the product enough. People loved it. And so that was kind of the breaking point for us. What do you think, was there something in you that you felt you had this internal confidence to do that? Because I think a lot of people have ideas and they talk mm-hmm. about those ideas. Yeah. And there's a big difference between taking that idea and then actually turning it into a business. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we really tested our product for a good amount of time and validated it because you can, everybody thinks that they have a great idea, but is it really going to sell? So um, we essentially, for a period of time, give away free um, little two-ounce tastings of ice cream in exchange for um, surveys. So we would ask questions, you know, what are the brands of ice cream you're currently buying? Um, How does our ice cream compare to those brands? Um, Would you buy our ice cream? And we had probably like a stack of 500 surveys by the end of it, and um, the responses were pretty astounding. So it really, we really validated the product prior to that, so... That's great. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's a wonderful way to go about building confidence besides sort of like the inner build yourself up idea to really just base it in facts and research. I think yeah. that's a great place to start. Um, Gabby, what about you? What was sort of the thing that led you to like a trigger switch to make you want to do it on your own? So um, after culinary school, I was a private chef for a number of years and I was working for a lot of really awesome celebrities in L.A. and I love them to death. But then I was like, I'm so sick of being on someone else's schedule all the mm. time and going to work. And thinking I'm cooking for four people and then I have to cook for 44 people and having a (laughs) panic attack every day. Um, So I was and I had done the blog, you know, at the same time. And so finally, I was just like the blog had been getting enough traffic. I was making money off of ads and I was doing sponsored content, um, you know, enough to support myself. And I was like, I'm just going to do it. And I stopped personal chefing and it was very, very scary. But I feel like if I had never stopped personal chefing and done what's got cooking full time, the blog would never have grown to where it is now. Like I wouldn't have been able to put the time into it and the effort and really cultivate like my photography style and stuff like that. One thing I'm always curious about with new businesses and the risks associated with it is whether or not people are talking about these things before they launch them. When you guys were in the idea phase of like, maybe I'll go full time with this blog and maybe we'll start this ice cream company. Did you talk to other people about that? Or was this sort of something that was on the top of your mind? Or did you all keep this very internal until you like decided to actually make it big and open um i absolutely talk to people about it the food blogging world i feel like is so welcoming and people are so nice there it's kind of weird um and i had known people that had done food blogging full-time and they were like listen you can totally make this happen and so that was a great you know promote that was another factor that really was just like okay i can do this and like if it doesn't work i can go back to doing personal chef work but i've got to at least give this a try otherwise i'll never know what i could have done what about you, Krista? Yeah, so we definitely reached out to some other food businesses. At the time, it was harder to find people to contact that would get back to us. Um, mm-hmm. We spoke with the woman from Butter Lane, the founder, one of the founders, and she was really helpful because at the time, we were thinking about doing a scoop shop. Um, and we really tried to reach out to some people. Some people wouldn't necessarily get back to us, So, which we've been really proactive about is really trying to help people that are trying to start their own food businesses and giving them advice. So we've kind of reversed that because there is a need for that as well. So. I always think there's this like huge difference between 
taking a risk and being entirely reckless. And for me, the difference between rec and reckless and risk is planning. Um, so I would love to know a little bit more about the planning that went into the first step of starting it. Krista, you talked a lot about your testing, but Gabi, what about you? What were you doing to sort of make that leap? Did you hire an accountant or make sort of financial plans? Did you make editorial plans? How did that start? Yeah, editorial calendars are a huge thing for me at What's Gabi Cooking. I'd like to say yes, but the team is quite small. <laughs> um, so editorial calendars are very helpful in keeping us organized. I'm also an obsessive list maker. Mm. So I make lists for everything. I made a list of, you know, how much money I wanted to make within 12 months of doing this. And if, you know, I didn't make that, if I didn't make that amount of money, like I should reevaluate this, you know, five-year plans, 10-year plans. I don't really believe in full business plans because I don't have the patience to write 30 pages worth of a business plan, but I have these kind of like mood boards and vision boards. And I know that in two and a half years, like I want to have X, Y, and Z done. And so I really work every day to get there. So I know, you know, like I'm making progress because I'm not accountable to there's no one I don't have, I'm the boss <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's great I don't think anybody did that with blogs a couple years ago and I'm glad to know that people starting blogs like in more recent history are putting that sort of effort into yeah thinking long term I think it's my OCD list making that brings it out <laughs> of me <laughs> what about you Krista I know you you're a business plan pro uh, yeah I'm kind of the opposite but um <laughs> just because we were getting funding for our business so we really had to be um, very methodical about how we're going to launch our business, have a business plan because we did get a, um, a bank loan. So I wrote a business plan and used that to get a small business loan through that's a personal, it's a guaranteed business loan through the government. Um, and then today, to date, I really, I make quarterly goals, um, you know, yearly, three-year, five-year, 10-year goals. And I'm constantly reevaluating my quarterly and yearly, et cetera, goals. And really, you know, marking down what I need to do to achieve those goals and making myself accountable. And also I have like a vision board essentially as well um, to really visualize where we need to be and really seeing that every day up in front of me at my, at my desk. So mm-hmm. how do, how do each of you define whether that's internally or in more quantitative terms, the difference between a risk that's worth taking and one that's not worth taking? That's a hard question. <laughs> um, is it a gut level thing for you guys? Or do you, I mean, I feel like Krista, there's got to be a spreadsheet somewhere. For yeah. you for this. There's both. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, I, I just know that some of the biggest risks I've taken have resulted in really awesome things. And I've been given really cool opportunities because of what I did. And I feel very fortunate. So I feel like if I, if I feel strongly about something, I'm just going to do it. And, it, you know, they're, they're in the world I live in, you can fix it. Like, there's always, you know, you can put up a new blog post tomorrow if, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's fixable, usually. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's only so much you can project in spreadsheets and things and analysis. Um, I always do that whenever I'm trying to make a decision that's really, like, focus on, like, large sums of money, um, essentially. But it always comes back to my gut. And I think that as an entrepreneur, you really learn how to hone in on that. And it becomes this like practical intuition. And you understand, I'm going to take that risk, even though like, because projections are just projections. So I think it's a natural entrepreneur thing to have that part of you that is willing to take risks and feels like I trust my gut. I feel strong. I'm going to do this. But I think for some people, there needs to be some sort of incentive or like a tip or a trick that gets someone into it. And in researching this show, I came across this interview with Richard Branson of Virgin Airlines and that giant 
mega company. And the thing he said that he goes back to over and over again is that he tries to tell his team to either break a record or make a bet. And those are the two things that incite them to do something big and risky because he's setting some goal that feels unattainable or he's betting them something that makes them feel like they need to prove that they can do whatever it is. Um, are there any things that you two go back to over and over again that you think sort of like inspire you or bolster you up to take a risk that might seem scary? Um, I love it when someone tells me I can't do something because to me that's it's a challenge it's a bet and you're like well watch me so <laughs> I you know I really I respond well to that kind of stuff I do well under pressure so is that does that answer the question yeah okay. absolutely god you answered um, it perfectly for myself as well <laughs> um, I'm a pretty competitive person and so I love people telling me I can't do something and kind of coming up out on top so um, that's definitely the same situation for myself as well did you play sports growing up yes me too (laughs) (laughs) can either of you remember a specific example of when you felt challenged not like you couldn't do something that you needed to prove someone wrong for that professionally yeah I mean literally the day I quit my job I gave him my letter of resignation Um, we met with our accountant at the time and we told him we were going to launch this ice cream business and we're going to get an SBA loan and he said you shouldn't have quit your jobs because you're not going to be able to get a loan. The, nobody's giving out loans right now. And I said, well, I'm going to, you know, essentially I'm going to prove you wrong. And we did it. So, yeah. Um, I, I don't remember who I told. I should remember this. But I told someone I, write, I wanted to write an entire cookbook on avocados. And they literally <laughs> laughed in my face. And I was like, F you. And then four weeks later, I sold my proposal and I wrote an entire cookbook on avocados. And I, I, what, I can't remember who it was. It must have been someone from college or someone silly. I don't remember. <laughs> I think that's a great sign that you're willing to push through. And I think yeah. that's funny. I mean, I think both of you in those cases, it was sort of an, an air issue of narrow mindedness. And I always feel like risk taking is so much about banishing any limits of what you can and can't do because the whole point of a risk is to show yourself that you can do something people are saying you cannot do so I feel like inherent risk taking is just all about telling people like I'm going to show you a completely different way to do something or show you that there are people who want whatever this thing is Um, I want to get into some more detailed uh, questions about what your risks were what the results of that were but I want to take a quick break because I have a lot of independent questions for each of you. So we're going to take a very quick break and we'll be right back with Gabby Dalkin and Krista of Finn and Feeps. emerging design check out of a kind a site that sells the pieces and tells the stories of up-and-coming makers the site has featured over 200 designers and offers limited edition pieces that you can't find anywhere else along with studio tours travel guides and even recipes from the designers to find out more head to of and sign up for the site's newsletter hey 
Hey, welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonnie, And before the break, I was talking with Gabby of What's Gabby Eating or Cooking and Krista Freeman of Finn and Phoebe's Ice Cream. And we're talking about risk. And we talked about their backgrounds and how that sort of is an inciting factor in getting any business off the ground. But now I want to dive a little bit deeper into the tougher risks that you've taken and kind of break apart a case study to give people an example of how risk can be a positive thing. Um, so, Gabby, let's start with you. What's a specific risk that you've taken with your business and how did it play out? Um, okay, so I think we should go back to my cookbook because I was so pumped to write this cookbook and I was over the moon. But I knew from all my friends who had written cookbooks before that the amount of PR support I was going to get from my publisher was going to be minimum and I mean super minimum so that really bothered me because I think the whole point of writing a cookbook is to go out there and like get the word out your about your book and sell it and you know get in front of people and they basically weren't going to set me up with anything so I hired my own PR company which was horrifyingly expensive and very risky and scary because with PR you're not guaranteed anything Um, But I knew that I wanted to be on TV. I wanted to be on radio. I wanted to be out there in front of these people talking about avocados. Um, So it sounds so weird. (laughs) Um, So I hired a PR company and it was great. Like they produced pretty awesome results. I mean, I walked in there and they're like, listen, we can't guarantee anything. And I said, "Okay, that's fine. I'm willing to part with this amount of money and work with you for six months and see what we can do together. And it was It was a joint effort. Um, We pooled our resources on both ends and, you know, went after everyone from every angle. But I think that was a huge risk. I mean, I spent my entire cookbook advance on my PR team. That's big. That's really huge. How did you come up with that sum? Did you sit down to try to figure out what was like a loss amount you were willing to risk? Um, Well, yeah. When I came out with my cookbook, it was at the tail end of my personal chef career. So I still had that income. Um, So I knew that anything from the book was just going to be kind of like a bonus and that I was willing to invest all of it into myself. Um, So, yeah, I actually probably ended up spending more because I had to fly myself across the country for TV appearances um, based on what the PR team did for me. That's huge. And then it paid off because you got a lot of press for that book. Yeah, I got a lot of press. I mean, I didn't make any money off of it yet. But I mean, what's got to be cooking has grown because of that. So that's awesome. That's a good point to make. I think for anyone listening who's been considering the idea of turning, whether it's a project or a blog, into a book is sort of the reality of what a book can be good for in that sense. Um, How did you find that that particular project bolstered your brand in the bigger sense? Um, So I have... I really enjoy being in front, of, in front of the camera and on radio. So I was exposed to all these different networks that were willing to take me on and talk about my book. And I got so comfortable in front of the camera. And that's helped me produce a YouTube show for myself. I have a YouTube show with one of my friends. Um, and then that res, you know that gives revenue down the line. So that, yeah. That's a good one. Krista, what about you? What's a sort of a case study for Finn and Phoebe's where risk played off in a, in a good way? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're always running into the a scenario of like essentially not growing ourselves out of business as we expand pretty quickly. And so, um, for example, this past year, we've we've grown into around um, close to 300 stores, um, which is not might not seem like a lot, but it's, it's a lot for us because we're kind of small. So um, at the time when you in the grocery business, when you grow into stores, essentially what they they, they call it is a free fill. They essentially want you to give them a free case of each of your flavors per store for that first shipment. So that's really hard because essentially we're just losing inventory. We're not getting paid for it. And so there's cash flow implications with that. You know, there's points when like, can I reproduce the product once they actually start, once we have another order, you know, where we have cash because we're not getting paid for that order. Um, so recently 
we were, you know, we expanded into fresh markets and whole foods in a different region. And we had to run the scenario like we did, you know, the projections. Can we launch into these stores without any funding? And, um, you know, it showed us like in May being literally negative $60,000 in the bank, essentially. Um, so, you know, at that point, I made the decision, well, we have to we have to move forward. We're going to do it. And I'll essentially figure out how to fund growing into those stores. And then that's something that we come across in time and time again as we grow, um, taking that risk. And has it paid off? And yes, it has paid off. I figured out how to make it work. Um, and the timing just worked out perfectly. My gut said, you know, I will be able to close and getting funding at this point. And it, it did work out. So and played off. That's a good example. I think it's a good example of the thing that's my favorite about risk taking, which I think that it really opens you up to learning something you didn't know you could do beforehand. And it lets you build a confidence you couldn't have even imagined before because it's something that you didn't know you could actually do. Um, so what's something that each of you has learned from a risk related experience, um, like whether it's a skill or something about yourself or the business that you didn't know before from a particular example, like Gabi, you learned these great on air skills. Um, what else have you learned from the risks you've taken so far? Um, I think I've also learned that we're for what's Gabi cooking. We're starting to bring on a team. Like I have a, like a management team. I have an, I'm getting an assistant. Like I have interns and stuff like that. And I love all of them, and they definitely help take some of the slack off of me and you know negotiate contracts and stuff. But I also think one thing to keep in mind when you're an entrepreneur and running a small business is no one is going to be as absolutely enthusiastic about your brand as you are. And sometimes that's really hard to deal with, and you have to find a way to work with people and get inspire them and keep everybody happy so your brand is the best it can be. That's a good one. What about you, Krista? Well, um, this is a hard one for me. Um, <clears throat> I think that in in touch with what you just said, that nobody's me as enthusiastic. I mean, there's a lot of times that people you're partnering and working with are going to give you these promises of how, you know, they're going to help grow your brand um, and take you to that next level. And a lot of times, you know, we've we've been let down in, you know, in the past and in the present of how, you know, some strategic partners that we're working with are going to pan out. And just learning from that, that nobody is going to be as enthusiastic and be able to build your brand the way that you are, you know, and taking that away from that. So Mm -hmm. I think that ties into the idea of, I I think risk taking is so much about asking for what you actually want out of life, um, Mm -hmm. both in your life and professionally. It's about setting these goals that previously seem unattainable. And then you realize I can have the things I want. I can have the business I want. It's going to be difficult to get there, but I can actually have these things. Um, Can you give me an example of a risk you've taken that really was tied into dreaming sort of big for your business? I can. I don't know if I'm <laughs> Your allowed to even say huge. it. I want to hear this one. Um, so there is a magazine that is huge that I really wanted to be a part of. And the issue comes out in the fall. So I can't say who it is right now. But I wanted a feature and I asked for it. And 10 months later, I got it. And it was it was literally just I didn't even write a pitch like I it wasn't a formal proposal. I sent an email to someone. I said, hey, look, do you want to do X, Y and Z and make it an eight page spread? Literally, that was my email. And it happened like and I just did it because if you don't ever ask for it, no one's going to give it to you. Yeah. You just have to go out there and ask. And you never know. People say yes all the time. Mm -hmm. Weird. And even if they say no, the worst they're doing is just saying no. Right. And then ask someone else. mm -hmm. And I think asking somebody else. But I think the other follow up often is just to ask for something different. It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, if they don't want this story, maybe they want this story or story B or story C or whatever the other one is. And I think the risk taking is all about being able to sort of let that no wash over you like a wave and just keep 
going forward. Yeah. Um, what about you, Krista? Yeah, this is also another hard one for me. I, feel, I don't feel like I have diverse things to talk about with you. <laughs> um, so I think just in general for me was the the risk of starting an ice cream business and the, the, making the leap of something that's that the category itself is very complicated and not, you know, I look back and like, well, I wish that we just launched a granola bar business, you know, because that's so much logistically so much easier. Um, and I think us just being kind of actually just naive at the time and being like, no, it's going to be ice cream and we're going to do this, even though it's so complicated to transport, to produce, um, and just being very set on like, no, it, the actual, our business is going to be ice cream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's so impressive, though. I think one of the things that I mean from knowing you outside of, of this radio show is to watch how you weren't somebody who came from a background with knowing about distribution and packaging and all the ins and outs, and you've learned all those things in, like, mm-hmm. this much time. And I'm making the gesture for a tiny amount yeah. of time. Still uh, learning a lot. So. Yeah, but that's, that's an incredibly huge risk mm-hmm. to take. And I think you've, I mean, I can tell from knowing you that learning those things has, like, given you such a vast amount of business knowledge that I wish that everybody I knew who wanted to start a food company would just sit down and talk to you because I think you've made these obstacles seem so easy to get over and whether or not it's an ice cream business or a blog or whatever it is I think having the confidence to just move forward and say crap I don't know how to do this now but I'm going to read everything I can read and then I will know how to do it in three months that's huge yeah I mean we literally didn't know how we're going to get our ice cream from the manufacturing facility to the stores I mean we had no idea there's like just you can't rent freezer trucks for ice cream it was just kind of like, you know it was pretty scary you know they don't have those at U-Haul no they, ice weird. cream has to be negative 20 oh. degrees transported so like you can't even really find trucks except for like the full 18 wheelers that lots of times will transport ice cream and obviously we couldn't afford to do it 18 wheeler the first production run so <laughs> I think well one of my, my favorite stories related to Finn and Phoebes is one that you told us about the cookies that, that are in your ice cream mm-hmm. and how these ginger cookies that you felt strongly this was the quality cookie that you wanted but you ran across a huge problem being able to get that cookie where it needed to be tell people the solution oh that. yeah so um right now we're switching where we manufacture and um so we typically i drive up the cookies myself in our ford transit van to the manufacturing facility pick them up from the baker we're switching facilities that's quite a little bit further away so what i figured out is that i'm going to go pick up the cookies from the baker bring them to our freezer warehouse um, and have them palletized there because a baker doesn't have a way to get pallets in and out of her um, her bakery. And we usually would just FedEx the, ice, I mean, the cookies during the colder months, but it's too warm out. They need to be at 40 degrees. So, um, yeah, so I'm going to bring the cookies to the warehouse, store them in our fr- freezer warehouse, and then palletize them there. Then have a freight provider come pick them up from there because we can't have them picked up from the baker. Wow. So. I know. <laughs> Good thing to know if you want to start an ice cream yeah. company. That is resourceful. <laughs> I bet granola bar companies still have to do that. <laughs> um, one of the things that we've, we've talked about um, before I, on here a lot is that where people go to to find business advice, that what bolsters their confidence, who are the people they talk to that really give them the information and the ideas and sort of the guts to make these things happen. Um, what are places that both of you look to for either business advice or just leadership advice, whether it's like a magazine or a person? You want to go ahead? Um, you know, I have to think about this for a second. Okay. <laughs> You're on top of it. Um, <laughs> I luckily have found a really awesome network of people that I trust 
Matt being one person who I know that I can call on moment's notice at five in the morning and A, he's awake and B, he's <laughs> going to give me really epic advice on how to handle a client situation or whatever that is. And these other people, I mean, one of my girlfriends, Aida from AidaMullenCamp.com, Weelicious, you know, all these people that I've met through food blogging. I just met through food blogging. Like it was just at a conference and I've developed this really epic network of people that I can bounce ideas off of. We can talk money openly. So I, we all know what, you know, we need to charge or X, Y, and Z. Um, I really rely on those kinds of people to help me make big decisions and stuff like that. And since I brought on a management team, they've been able to help with things like that as well. Mm-hmm. What about you, Krista? Yeah. So these are one of the, this is one of the things that's been the hardest for me. Um, essentially, as an entrepreneur, I feel like you live in like your own echo chamber and you're constantly like when I'm running in the morning, thinking of all these ideas and things and you get done and they're just bouncing off the walls and I have nobody to talk to. Um, and so that's, it's been really hard for me building a network. And just recently I've kind of been establishing that with other, um, food entrepreneurs. I did in the, the beginning have my friend from, um, Morris kitchen and we would bounce stuff off of each other, but we're kind of growing in different channels. So lots of the stuff that we're going through don't really apply. She's more specialty and I'm more like grocery. So it gets complicated. Um, but I've also just recently joined um, an organization called EO and it stands for entrepreneurs organization. And um, so you have these, these forums and different, and it's, it's, it's as an international organization and you have these forum groups that you meet like once a month and everything's very confidential and nothing leaves the room. Um, and essentially, you know, you have the same kind of things. You bounce off things that you've gone through and somebody, you know, another entrepreneur in the room could have gone through something, maybe at the same situation, but can give you advice. Um, and so I've just joined that and we'll be starting in um, next month. So that's great. Yeah. I'm glad to know about that group. Yeah. Um, the last question I want to ask you guys before we go into rapid fire is about the tougher things related to a risk, which is what happens when the risk doesn't work out. Um, have either of you been through a risk that didn't pan out? And if not, what are some ways that you sort of know and go back to that help you bounce back when something doesn't go exactly the way you want it to? Um, well, I would eat a pint of your ice cream <laughs> if something didn't go wrong, if something didn't go right. Um, I mean, I talk a lot about this network of people around me, and I think it's really important to have a group of people like that because when something sucks and it doesn't go right, you have these people to pick you up and be like, listen, this is not the end of the world. It's fine. Like, maybe you lost a little bit of money. Maybe, you know, something happened. It's not, it's not, it's not the end. Like, you just have to pick yourself back up and keep going. Mm-hmm. What about you, Krista? Yeah, I mean, I would, I luckily have not had that situation yet. I think that's really catastrophic. Um, that's not the right word, but um, you know what I mean. <laughs> catastrophic. <laughs> catastrophic. There we go. I couldn't pronounce it. Um, but yeah, just having, I really look at to Jess as being that person that, you know, it's a kind of my shoulder to lean on and, you know, kind of, talking me through those kinds of situations when things maybe don't go quite according to plan, but nothing has been horrible to date. So we've been lucky. We've been very lucky. I think, I mean, you've been lucky, but I think, I don't know, you haven't. I don't think you, I I have a big thing with this word luck. I feel like women (laughs) often say like, we've been lucky, but I think what's happened is that both of you um, sitting here today, both of you guys take very calculated and intelligent risks. You're not like just screw it let's quit my job it's an ice cream company you did a lot of research and Gabby did the same thing like you mm-hmm. talked to a ton of people and understood what the marketplace was like and I think both of you are wonderful examples of how if you're making plans and you're talking to people and you're making educated decisions risks become a little bit less scary and they might still be risks but they're actually like an educated risk and mm-hmm. that's the best kind to make if you're an entrepreneur because you're not just throwing yourself wildly out there you're really kind of getting a look at what's ahead before you take that leap so 
you should both be very proud of, of everything you've done. Yeah, so you. let's go Thanks. into some less risky and entirely fun questions. This is the last section of the show where we talk about very fun rapid fire things. So the first question for both of you, uh, let's start with you, Gabby, and then go to Krista for all these. Uh, what's your favorite website right now? What's the first website you load in the morning? Um, well, besides mine, honestly, yum. It's this food blog that I'm obsessed with. So okay. cool. God, I really don't like looking at websites in, online. <laughs> She looks um, at what's got to be cooking every day. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I really look at is Instagram, and my feed's full of cavaliers, essentially, <laughs> of dogs. Yeah. Well, that's going to lead into my next one then, Crystal. You start with this. What's your favorite Instagram feed or trend? Oh, God. Hashtag I mean, des- cavaliers. Design, <laughs> design sponge. Um, um, I, yeah, probably just. Looking at pictures of dogs, it's really horrible, but in the morning, that's what I do. I'm drinking coffee, and it's like my way to zone out and not deal with work. I don't look at email. And I just look at pictures of dogs and drink coffee. Coffee, and like It's kind of ridiculous. I love it. What about you, Gabby? Um, I'm obsessed with that new Instagram handle, You Did Not Eat That, or whatever oh, it's called. What are your thoughts on that? that? I think it's hysterical. I think people are really, the people, some people are very sensitive and don't take it the right way, but I think it's funny. You just have to, you have to be able to make fun of yourself. It's, Krista, it's this feed, um, people are all over it on the internet okay. being very angry or very happy about it, um, where they're taking pictures of like photographs of very thin women who are holding up like a giant piece of cake next to their yeah, face. Yeah, like fashion bloggers. And they run it being like, you didn't eat that. Yeah, that's the Got it. general. Okay. I think it's so bad. out of the loop. <laughs> um, I, I'm always really interested to know who people look up to in terms of like their business or personal Id- idols along the sort of WW, what would someone do? My own personal one is what would Rachel Maddow do? What is uh, the thing that you would think of if you had to think of somebody that you look up to when times are tough? Oh, snap. I'm stumped. Uh, one of my girlfriends, Catherine McCord, she has a blog called Weelicious. She is like the most level-headed person in the entire world. And I literally call her all the time. She probably gets really sick of me. But she is someone that I think just handles things with such grace. And I appreciate that. Good one. This might be kind of cliche, but um, actually, I really look up to, to Grace. Um, you know, I look at how your business has like evolved over time and how you've, you know, you made changes and, you know, when time to change in media and things like that and I really look up to you in that in that regard and also like just with your radio show I feel like you're so versatile and you've really built like this great empire for yourself and I really look up to you so thanks Kristen that's so nice (laughs) (laughs) um now a totally shallow question (laughs) Uh, what is a, a trend style designer or brand that each of you hopes will make it big this year it could be something as silly as like ice cream cake or it could be something very serious you go first. <laughs> God, I'm so like not a, in the trendsetters. Um, what I want to be go big this year, or just what do you want to see more of? You've got something. I know. I think I want more people to entertain via bruschetta bars. <laughs> we had just had one at Matt's house. Matt and Adam hosted a party and made a bruschetta bar, and it's just like grilled bread and all these toppings, and everyone just went to town, and it was the best way to have a party because it was all messy. That sounds good. What about like getting back into fondue? <gasps> you know, like I could get uh, behind that. We did that on New Year's Eve with my family. Um, when I went home and we did the chocolate fondue, and that was really good. It was like get back seventy style and do yeah. that. That'd be fun. I love it. I think it's super communal too. Yeah. I think anything that allows you to just dive in there and yeah. get into things is good. Yeah, cook your own meat. You know, on a <laughs> stick. So, um, so for everyone listening, where can they find each of you online? Oh, um, well, my website's What's Gabby Cooking, and I'm on Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. All the links are on my site. I'm everywhere. Yep, and um, finandphoebs.com, and we are on Instagram, Facebook, 
Twitter, no Pinterest. Um, and it's all on our, on our website, all the links as well. Good stuff. And I want to leave everyone with a quotation from one of my favorite writers, Neil Gaiman, who said, if you dare nothing, then when the day is over, nothing is all you will have gained. So I think it's a good thought to leave us with. So for all of you listening, um, dream big, take risks. Krista and Gabby, thanks so much for being here today. And thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>